Welcome to Survive and Thrive, where Oklahomans reflect on COVID-19 and racism. Survive and Thrive is a 24-episode podcast series where our team will interview Oklahomans across a diverse spectrum as how to survive and thrive during the twofold crisis of the health and racial pandemics. Oklahomans are no stranger to tragedy. The state's history is checkered with traumas such as the Dust Bowl, Tulsa Race Massacre, Trail of Tears, and the Oklahoma City bombing. Out of those tragedies was born the Oklahoma Standard. Now, as the state once again grapples with hardship, this time with COVID-19 and racial heartache, we will hear from multiple Oklahomans who must once again learn to survive and thrive. We are your hosts, Carolee Langford and Brooklyn Wayland. For this episode, our audio engineer, Miranda Vondell, will be temporarily filling in as my co-host. It's a violent tornado. This is a tornado emergency going through populated areas. My God, get get below ground if at all possible. This is very, very dangerous. I just see violent rotation with this. 319 will be in Moore. And so Moore, you got Moore's in the bullseye. As you're tracking this, we got to tell you a school down in Moore. We know a school in Moore has been hit, an elementary school. It's my understanding that there are up to two dozen children, victims, trapped at the bottom of that school right now, and I understand they're going to start pulling these tiny victims out of the rubble here shortly. We're also getting word that some kids may some be trapped. little ones, and there are now Dozens fatalities. of children are among the victims. Most were inside school when that tornado touched down just before 3 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Our thoughts are with the Mm. families who Mm. are waiting for word and with those rescuers who have the horrific job of trying to find the little victims in that room. It was just kind of your average day at the end of a school year when everyone's hustling and bustling to get everything done. I would say that, you know, in the beginning of the day, it was definitely on my mind that they had talked about the weather being um, bad that day. We were kind of already all a little bit jittery just because of the day before. And we were asked to go out into the hall to, you know, do what any Oklahoma kid has grown up doing, which is go into the hall and, you know, you get into your tornado position, sit on your knees and put your head down. And I, I even mentioned one time to another coworker, do you think we can let them sit up for a little bit? And she was like, no no, we can't. And I think I just saw by the seriousness on her face that it really was going to be bad. Monday, May 20th, 2013, a day that will forever weigh on the hearts of Oklahomans. During school hours, a tornado swept through the city of Moore, Oklahoma, leaving nothing but devastation in its wake. And in its path stood the Plaza Towers Elementary School. The EF5 tornado struck the school, killing seven students and injuring hundreds of others. Karen Marinelli, 
a first grade teacher at Plaza Towers Elementary, remembers everything. We were told to get down. By then, I only had three kids left, and so I was big enough to kind of curl all three of them under me and put my arms around them and then lay my body down to cover them. Then it hit, and it was pretty unbelievable. The stories and the things that people tell you, you know, the way that it sounds and all that is really true. It just started out with rain and then hail and then started hearing windows breaking. Then it was just insanely loud and I always I don't really describe it like as a train or anything like that like to me it sounded like monstrous and then things started falling all over us and at one point something really hard hit the back of me on my back and I mean like took my breath away it hurt so bad we were being buried with things all around us and over us and it was it was pretty awful my head was turned to the side and I couldn't turn it straight because there was just stuff on top of us and I don't think I ever opened my eyes I kept my eyes closed the entire time I don't think I wanted to see what was happening after that we just could hear a lot of voices and people were digging through the rubble and getting things off of us. I don't oddly remember the boys that were with me being taken out from under me. I think I was just so in shock at that point. My body went into kind of a shock, I think, to help me not feel the pain. But when they finally got to me to try to stand me up, I couldn't stand up. When I tried to put my legs down, I had, you know, shooting pain up my legs. And then they ended up getting a door, a classroom door, and they laid me out on it and held my head straight because they told me they thought that I had some kind of spinal injury. I just kind of remember at that point kind of looking all around me and, you know, you look around and there's rubble everywhere, no houses to be seen, trees that are half there, cars thrown all over the place. It was just kind of a image that even though you're looking at it, you have, you can't even really fathom it. So what exactly did the road to recovery look like for you, both physically and emotionally? Well, they both were long, <laughs> long recoveries. Um, physical, I feel like, healed much quicker. Um, I would say at first, although... I mean, I would say physical is obviously worse because you're, you're really focused on that. When you've been injured, you kind of yeah. have to, you know, focus on your healing. And so the emotion part of it just kind of gets pushed to the side because you're busy, you know, fighting an injury. And I would say, you know, I just was really thankful. I was really thankful to be alive. Um, I was really surprised that I had survived that. Um, I just had a bunch, I just had, you know, just huge feelings of being grateful and obviously, you know, great sorrow for the kids that didn't make it. And I don't know that I ever had any survivor's guilt necessarily. I just didn't, I just didn't understand it. I didn't understand, um, you know, how I had been spared and the children didn't. And um, that was a little bit hard to overcome at that point. But I guess just gratefulness for a real long time um, as I was going through the whole process of um, recovering physically. Um, and then I would say once I physically was healed, which seemed to be 
you know, forever because even once I got out of the wheelchair, then I had to kind of work to be able to walk again, to walk mm-hmm. the right way. Yeah. And I would say once I got to that point, I really started feeling a lot of frustration. It was just really difficult to, you know, get my body strong again. I was working. I went right back to work. Everyone encouraged me to go back to school in August. Everyone really doctors and, you know, nurses Mm -hmm. and my family and friends and everyone thought if I didn't go back to work and I just kind of laid around and, you know, had enough time to let everything sink in that I would struggle. So they thought, you know, stay busy and keep doing all the things. And so I got pretty overwhelmed and frustrated in August and September of going back to school, the whole back to school madness in a wheelchair. I had an aide with me who helped me through everything. And that was really great. But I just had a lot of frustration of not being able to do everything myself and the way that I (laughs) wanted to do it. And so, you know, the gratefulness got pushed down a little bit as I started to feel frustrated and overwhelmed. And then I would say once I got past um, that feeling, I I really dealt a lot emotionally with um, just fear, fear and sadness over everything that had happened. Mm -hmm. I also got pregnant at that time. And so that probably didn't help emotionally. (laughs) That was kind of interesting. But I would say that I hit all of the the emotions that come along with something, a big injury, you know, they have all these steps that you go through. I would say that I went through every single one of those and felt every single emotion that you ever, ever could, but only to come full circle again back to just, you know, being so grateful, so grateful that, first of all, that. I didn't die, that the students that were with me were protected and safe, um, that they were still alive, um, you know, kind of given that whole second chance feeling of, well, you know, there was a reason that I'm still here. And then having a baby, we ended up having a girl. So that was another big thing because we had four boys and we just kind of felt like she was the perfect ending for all of that too she kind of united our family um being the little girl and you know she just kind of perfectly finished out our family and you know so you get to the end of it and you can think okay well it it all worked out it all worked out beautifully yeah so absolutely so Tell me about the aftermath of the tornado. What did that look like from your perspective? Oh, gosh, it was so crazy. (laughs) Right after, like I said, it was unbelievable, just like a war zone. I couldn't even believe that it it was a real thing. I would say... I really, I really had a hard time in those first three weeks to a month because I couldn't really do anything. I couldn't be a part of anything. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't really know what was going on in the outside world other than like the news or what my family would tell me because Mm -hmm. I was, you know, stuck in a hospital and they would just, you know, tell me all the things of, they they were the ones that got to go to my classroom and see what my classroom ended up looking like after all that. Um, you know, as they were driving down the street and, you know, describing what it looked like. Our own house was um, 
even affected not on the inside but exterior you know we lost all kinds of things around our house and damage to the exterior of our house and so you know even talking about those kinds of things it was just I don't know I just couldn't really wrap my mind my mind around any of it because I wasn't out and amongst it I remember when we finally got to come home from Jim Thorpe and by then things had really even been cleaned up a little bit just looking around and thinking how different things looked um, down our normal road that we drove, you know, every day thinking, because we lived, you know, within, what, eight miles of the school gotcha. um, that I was at, so mm -hmm. we weren't real far. So it was it was uh, pretty rough. I didn't get to, you know, get back together with my students. They had a big, you know, end-of-the-year celebration. I didn't get to do that. I really kind of felt like I never had a good closure with it just because I didn't get to say goodbye to my students or anything like that. So the aftermath was a little hard, yeah. um, a little sad. And I would say even for years and years after that, still driving down, you know, the same road, there would be something that would catch my eye, hmm. whether it, you know, be a tree that was really wonky looking or a bent up piece of metal or something like that. And, it would immediately send me back, you know, to thinking about that day and kind of almost go into a little trance thinking about it. Um, so in a way, and I, my husband says this sometimes, he feels like I was kind of spared from the aftermath yeah. of it because mm -hmm. I was kind of plucked out of it, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was taken out of it and put in this place where, I didn't kind of know what was going on on the outside, but mm -hmm. it was hard to see even when, when I was out. Yeah. So in this podcast, we've talked a lot about the tragedies Oklahoma has seen throughout the years and how when the time calls, Oklahomans seem to band together and unite in this strength of what we refer to as the Oklahoma standard or Oklahoma strong. What do those terms mean to you? Oh, wow. It is so true. I think that, and I'm sure that every, you know, state, every community, they do that. Um, but, you know, I grew up here. I grew up in more, I went to more schools. And so, you know, it just really is my home and always. And so it was, we just, I mean, we had card after card after card pouring in, you know, to our house, um, boxes being dropped off. Um, I mean, friends that I hadn't even seen from high school, mm -hmm. um, since high school, um, you know, who were bringing us meals. Um, I would just say, yeah, I think anytime anything major happens and I and I've seen it again you know with this pandemic too of mm -hmm. you know when you have a friend down the street and their whole family gets sick you know you're automatically dropping things off and mm -hmm. you know can I go get you groceries can I go get you toilet paper yeah. you know <laughs> it's just what we do in our community and you know when there's a need people are just right there stepping up to do it so gosh, we were just completely surrounded by it. You didn't, 
you didn't really have very long to feel sorry for yourself because someone was coming and, you know, doing something for you. And so it was really great. We had everybody reach out. And then especially as teachers as well, um, you know, we had so many teachers, gosh, just even around not even just in Oklahoma, but in surrounding states and even farther away ones that would send stuff, you know, from their own classroom or if they were retired teachers, they would, you know, send us things. We were given so many um, opportunities to gather more things for our classroom because, you know, we all know we pour tons of our time and our money into our classroom and then you lose that, you lose it all. And that's Mm -hmm. rough. Um, so we had so many donations just like that. We had stores that donated, you know, just brand new items to us. And um, they brought in a bunch of people uh, with donors choose um, and helped us write all these, you know, grants or projects, I guess they call it, for our classrooms. I mean, there wasn't anything that you could want for. And I felt like that, you know, with my school, with, you know, work and at home. I mean, you just, there wasn't anything you ever went without and we had a a special group I can't remember what they were called the hope raisers I believe is what they were called and they had like this little uh, I think they like built up a little tent type thing over by plaza towers and um just people came out and you know did crafts and things with kids and you know, had special shirts printed out that kids could ride on, give mm-hmm. to people. I don't know. We just, I, I don't think there was a thing that you could think of that you wanted or needed because someone was already stepping up and, yeah. and thinking about doing it. So yeah, mm-hmm. I see it and I see it with every big thing that happened. So that's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I know things aren't turning out quite as we hoped, but you are teaching right now, aren't you? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. How, tell me how that has been going throughout the pandemic. It has been very interesting. I can imagine. (laughs) At first, you know, I just didn't really know how it worked. In fact, it was pretty overwhelming to think about. Just, you know, trying to keep the kids where they were not so close to each other because they're first graders, they're six years old, you know, they don't really know boundaries and you know, people's bubbles and space. And so I really kind of thought I was going to have to rework my whole classroom. Oh, wow. With it, you know, just maybe have them at their desk more often and not moving around the room and everything not being interactive. And, you know, I just kept thinking, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to be any fun. Um, But we were just given some guidelines to go by. So once we got into it, once we got started, once school started and we could kind of see how it worked and we could tweak things here and there. It really hasn't been as bad as I thought it would. Just, you know, we don't, we probably don't move around and interact like we used to. Just not as simply, not as easily, but we still do. Um, We don't just have them all at their seat and just doing worksheets all the time. We're able to have them move about and around. We just try to do it carefully and try to remind them that when they're moving within the room, put their mask back on, try to stay out of people's bubble, you know, just putting some boundaries on it has helped and just 
coming up with cutesy little phrases or, you know, like the whole bubble. We even got a uh, hula hoop out <clears throat> and oh, okay. kind of showed them like what their what their bubble kind of looked like or their hula hoop and tried to remind them, you know, stay in your hula hoop or stay in your bubble, do an arm check, make sure you can't touch somebody. And so we were able to give them, you know, like I said, catchphrases or visuals to help. So I think it's worked out better than I ever thought it would. Well, that's just good. because, you know, we make things work. That's what teachers yeah. do. We're given, <laughs> we're given something. And although it may seem way, way too big to conquer, normally we can figure out a way. It may not work out the first way or the first time you do it, but eventually you get it. So it's actually gone pretty well. I can't say that I love wearing a mask all the time, mm. but uh you know, kind of hard to breathe, and it's kind of hard to hear them. <laughs> yes. Phonics is a real yeah. hard one. Oh, I would imagine. Oh, I'm sure. How are your students with wearing masks? Do they keep them on? Well, up to, I think, through second grade, at least, you know, and more. Students don't have to wear their masks unless they're out of the classroom. Okay. So. Um, once we're in the classroom, they're allowed to take them off. Some parents have been more strict about that, and, you know, their children have to wear them at all times. And then there's, it seems like at the beginning of the year, we were a little bit more, you know, if you're getting up to walk across the room to throw something away, make sure your mask is on. I think we've gotten a little more lenient on it, um, but they do pretty well. You just remind them mask and, and they grab it. You know, like I said, with the phonics, especially sometimes I have to, I always, you know, wear a mask and I normally wear a clear one when we're working on something like that so that they can see my mouth and my lips. But I'll have to say, pull your mask down. <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> oh, or I yeah. can't see your lips moving because some kids are quiet. Some kids have you know different issues with speech. And it's really hard to hear them and to see what they're doing behind that mask. So it's, uh, it's different for sure. Oh, I can imagine. Yes. So throughout this podcast, we have been talking about our state's history. And, you know, Oklahoma has dealt with its fair share of tragedies, including, for instance, the Dust Bowl, the Trail of Tears, the Oklahoma City bombing. And so on this podcast in particular, we've been talking about how Oklahoma can be honest about our history, especially when it comes to racial tensions and how we can grow from that. For instance, we've we've talked a lot about the Tulsa Race Massacre, and for a long time, it wasn't even part of the Oklahoma education system. And as an educator, what can we do as a state to embrace that aspect of our society and learn from our mistakes? Well, that's definitely challenging. I think that we're always given kind of some guidelines on things to expose our students to, you know, and how to expose them to. I guess with first graders, we always are a little bit more cautious with what we're bringing up in front of them and what we're teaching them about and telling them just because they're not, they don't really understand it as well. So I guess at least in my grade, we haven't really, you know, had to conquer the depth, I guess you would say, of really hard topics such as that. Um, You know, obviously we open the door for that and we, you know, 
broach topics and subjects that are happened that have happened in the past or that even are currently happening and you know first graders especially are so little and so naive mm. and they just you know they're so baffled by any time that we talk about somebody not being liked or welcomed or allowed somewhere because of the way you know they look the color of their skin and so we're really able to just kind of make that honestly a daily topic without getting into the you know the big brunt of it of you know always being kind to others and being accepting no matter what somebody looks like or how different they are from you or if they're the same as you and so you know we we kind of still keep it I think um sugary and sweet (laughs) in our grade but you know I definitely think it's things that especially for older students things that don't need to be hid away they don't we, we need to discuss our our past and our history and changes that we can make for the future. I think if it's always hidden, you know, changes are not going to be made. So I definitely think it's an important thing. So how do we cope with the racial heartache that we are seeing and experiencing today? Ooh, that's a rough one. <laughs> um, I, gosh, again, I would, I would say in the same way as it, the other question is with our little ones and when they're bringing up topics such as you know the racial tensions that they're seeing things that they've seen on the news and um I think we just always uh try to take that spin again of I guess in the first few weeks month of school we're we're all about friendship in our classroom being a community and um working together and i think we just we kind of bring that up again when something difficult is happening like that we just say you know you know how we talked about in our in our classroom that we're always there for somebody and you know, gosh, we need to be like that. And don't more people need to be like that. And things like that wouldn't be happening. And, you know, we we just try to remind them with all these things that we've learned there at the beginning and the whole golden rule type thing and how, how you know, being like that in our homes and around our friends or around other people in public or public parks or libraries or, you know, just to always remember those uh, little nuggets of kindness that we mm. so focus on there at the beginning of school. I would say still at this age um, with my first graders, it's not something that they seem to bring up very often. It's not something that they seem to talk about. I don't, I don't, I don't know that they see it. They don't see it like we do because they are so loving. Right. They're so kind right. and, you know, they, they don't feel they don't feel the way that there's a lot of what what we're seeing on the news and things like that. They just, they don't get it. They don't fathom it. So yeah. it doesn't really get discussed too, too much. Yeah. And so how can Oklahoma take what we've learned from dealing with the tragedy of the tornado in 2013 and apply it to the current pandemic to grow and thrive from it? Oh, just being available again being ready, being willing, listening to what people need. Um, You know, I know right now teachers are feeling so overwhelmed 
and so kind of, you know, so overworked because we're balancing so many different things. We're balancing virtual students. We're balancing, you know, in person. We're balancing, you know, our own families who are sick, you know, like right Mm -hmm. now with me, with, you know, I've got a lot of my family sick, but I still have to, you know, make sure that my sub plans are done and that I'm, you know, that I'm available for my students who are virtual right now. So I'm still hopping on and getting on our, you know, canvas program and our seesaw. And, um, I just think having lots of grace for teachers, having, you know, shooting them, a nice email, sending them a nice card, you know, letting them know that, hey, this isn't easy. It's okay. You know, we see you. We're thankful for you. Um, Kind of like, you know, what they did then, you know, at the tornado. You know, we see you and we appreciate you. It's always nice to feel like you're not just doing something um, in vain. So being present and, and building up others up I think is still so important and then you know we changed a lot of our safety protocols in regards to how we handled things with the tornado just like we have in the pandemic too you know Um, and there are things that will never change the way that we sanitize things the way that we really encourage students to not be in each other's faces and cleaning their hands and their stuff and it's kind of like it won't that won't go away because it's had such an impact on us so it's just kind of learning those things and what helps us and what's what keeps us safe and taking it forward but also just being gracious with everyone around us I think is the biggest being gracious with parents who are frustrated because you know they can't get everything done or their child isn't understanding something you know not getting frustrated with parents for not helping their students with homework or yeah. you know i just think there's so much grace that has to be involved right now absolutely absolutely yes thank you um i mean yeah. is there anything else that we should know or any questions we didn't ask that we should have not that i can think of All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us and telling us about your experience. We really do appreciate it. Yes. No problem. Thanks for asking me. Of course. Absolutely. Um, We've definitely taken up more than enough of your time. So we'll go ahead and let you go. And we hope you start to feel better soon. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Of course. All right. You have a good evening. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye, Karen. Bye. Thank you for listening to Survive and Thrive. In the next episode, we will hear from Waylon Cubitt, a black police officer who served the Oklahoma City community for over 20 years. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcast by searching Survive in OKLA. We are your hosts, Carolee and Brooklyn. Join us every Wednesday for new episodes. Also participating in this podcast project are Kimberly Burke, our manager, Jesse Smith, researcher and writer, Ji Swan Fan, the social media coordinator, and Miranda Von Dale, our audio engineer. This podcast is presented by Gaylord News in collaboration with the Institute for the Study of Human Flourishing.